Hello and welcome to the Movers and Shakers podcast, a leadership show where we speak with passionate achievers in order to dissect the DNA of their success. This podcast is produced in association with the Hindu Business Line newspaper and its campus edition BL on Campus. In this edition, we speak with Frederick Haran, a global professional speaker and an author who specializes in business creativity. He has delivered over 2000 presentations, lectures and workshops in over 60 countries on six continents. He is a CSP Global Fellow, which is amongst the highest positions for a professional speaker. He is an author of 9 books including the Idea Book that was included in the 100 best business books of all time. I have a lot of respect for Frederick and someone who I look up to. He is an epitome of a giver, someone who takes joy in mentoring and helping others. Frederick has been the key influencer in starting the Professional Speakers Association of India. Frederick is a Swedish national and is now settled in Singapore. He owns two islands in Sweden and one in Philippines. His Ideas Island is quite popular where he lets creative people stay there to pursue their ideas. I met Frederick in Ipoh, Malaysia for an international conference where both of us were speakers. We met on the sidelines of the event for this conversation. Let's listen in. Frederick, I've been following your talks on YouTube. I've really liked many of the talks out there. I've always wanted to meet you and then it so happened that I think the world conspired for both of us to be here. So both of us are here speakers at uh, Bangor Dialogue. So it's such an honor. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you so much. I've been looking forward to this too. If somebody walk across to you and asked, "Frederick, what do you do?" How would you typically answer that? If if I just meet someone in the street, say If someone If someone came to you and asked, "What do you do?" What do I do? Uh, the, well, the the simple answer I would actually say, I would say I'm an author, and then I will add, and I also speak. But actually, I'm more of a speaker. But if I start directly with speaker, most people don't understand what I mean by that. So if I say author first, and then they say, "Okay, an author," then you be, you get invited to speak. So I have learned that logically, it's better to start with author and then go speaker. but uh, i would define myself more as a speaker actually so i love the fact that you are not a native english speaker you're from sweden but you established yourself as a very powerful global speaker and i like the way how you've created a niche for yourself how did you come across this thinking yeah it's actually it's very it, actually quite it happened quite recently actually i've been speaking for 21 years i started when i was 27 And for the first ten years, I was a Swedish speaker, and I just basically spoke in Sweden. And then I'm in about ten years ago, I moved to uh, China, and then uh, I was uh, then I was a Swedish speaker in China, which is a very bad combination. <laughs> But then I, after China, I left for Singapore, and I said to myself, I'm not going to be a Singaporean speaker. I'm not going to be a Swedish speaker in Singapore. I'm just going to be a speaker, and that's kind of my mindset shifted, and I became this. global speaker and exactly it was one and a half years ago i was in the workshop and they were talking like speakers meeting mm-hmm. and the discussion was about you need to position yourself as a thought leader on a subject mm-hmm. so you speak on self leadership or then you should blog on self leadership if you speak on on i don't know gender equality if you speak on that you should blog on that and i realized that i i speak actually on a few topics i speak on innovation i speak on change i speak on global mindset so i said which of these should i blog on and i felt forced to choose one and i felt also forced to say well actually 
in a blog on all of them doesn't make me a thought leader or anything. So I said, I, I turned it around. I said, okay, what do I want to blog on? And I said, I want to blog on speaking. The fact that I'm a speaker who speaks globally. And to me, then I said, wait, then that means that's my position. And now I call myself the global conference speaker because I've been speaking in 60 different countries. I speak in between 20 and 35 countries per year. And by doing that, I have built up a competency, which is the ability to speak for global audiences. Because at a global conference, you will have people from China, from Brazil, from America, from Germany. And because I've spoken in all these different countries, I know how to make the Chinese laugh and I know how to make an American laugh. So in, that has become like very meta in a way. But my position is the guy who knows how to speak to people from all over the world. Yeah. So this brings me to two important questions, Frederick. Number one, how do you transplant yourself from one country to another? From Sweden, you went to China yeah. and then to Singapore. I'm finding it difficult to just move houses from one part of my own city to another part. But you're moving countries. How do you do that? Oh, that's, an in- uh, that's an interesting question. I never found, I never found it difficult. Uh, first of all, I never found it difficult. Uh, how do I do it? I think that's like asking someone who speaks two languages, how can you speak two languages? I only speak one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to answer that question, actually. I don't know how I do it. But I know, I know something that I, found ve- that I just realized I found very, very interesting mm. is when I came to China... People say, wasn't it difficult for you to be the only Western person in, uh, in China? Everything was different. Was it, didn't you lose your identity? And what I realized, it was the opposite. I realized I've never had more of an identity than when I lived in China because everyone else was different from me, right? So for the first time in my life, when I go to a restaurant and they serve my food, I had to think, how do I want to eat this meal? When I was living in Sweden, every time I would pick up a knife and a fork and I would eat my food like the, unless it's a hamburger. And I thought, that is how you eat your food. Then I came to China. Everyone was eating with chopsticks. And I had to say, am I going to eat with chopsticks or am I going to eat with a fork and a knife? And for the first time, I made a decision based on what is the best way to eat this food with. So sometimes with a chopstick and sometimes with a fork and a knife. And that just changed my whole approach to, to my own identity and what identity is and and now I would make decisions based on what do I think is the best way of doing it, not because everyone else does it like that. And I'll, sh- I'll share one more example. My wife is from the Philippines. So when we had kids, we had to make a decision. Are we going to raise them as Swedish kids or Filipino kids or Singaporean kids? Because they are born in Singapore and gr- live their whole life in Singapore. So in the Philippines, if it rains, you, the kids cannot go out and play because apparently in the Philippines, they think they get sick. In Sweden, if it rains, we tell our kids specifically to go out and play because we think they make them strong and healthy. So now we have kids and it rains. What are we going to (laughs) do? Are we going to raise them Filipino style or Swedish style? And for the first time, again, if if I was married to a Swedish woman, we would just let them go out and play without making a decision if it's good or bad because the culture would tell us to do it. Now we have to have a decision, me and my wife. And she has to argue for her way. I have to argue for my way. And in, in this case, the Swedish one was winning because it actually is healthy to go out and play in the rain. You don't get sick. But on the other hand, in the Philippines, they have respect for the elders. In Sweden, we don't really have respect for the elders. So we are now raising our kids with the Filipino way when it comes to respect for the elders. And again, every way of how we raise our kids is now based on the three different ways of, of raising kids. Filipino, Singapore, and Swedish way. 
and for the first time we're making decisions based on what do we think is right not it's right because that's how it's done, been done before so that kind of the more I do things like that the more I travel the more interactions I get around this the more stronger I become in my own identity about what is right and how things should be done so that's why I do it beautiful very well put the second question that I wanted to ask you Frederick is what was the turning point from you where you stopped being a Swedish speaker in Singapore right and became a global conference speaker what was that turning point i know exactly when the turning point was and was before i moved to singapore because i left china in 2008 and i moved to singapore in 2009 so for about 6 or 7 months i did not have a home i knew i wasn't going to live in in beijing but i and i knew i was going to live in asia but i didn't know where so for 7 months i was just traveling around the world speaking and whenever i came to an asian city for example uh, singapore or bangkok or jakarta or seoul i would stay there slightly longer i would stay for two weeks because i wanted to see how is it to live in this city for two weeks i would meet with swedes because i'm swedish who had lived there for a long 10 years or longer and say now after 20 years in bangkok how do you look at bangkok and if they were like bitter and angry you know i would be cautious and after done doing that for 10 different asian cities for 2 weeks and also traveling around the world that then i had a sense of like where could i see myself living for the longest time and the uh, the winner was singapore because singapore is the most global place mm. right but uh, you asked me when did it happen it happened specifically in iceland because i was in iceland and i got a toothache like a terrible toothache and i said to myself oh my god you know i need when as soon as I get i get home i need to go to the dentist And then I realized I don't have a home. So I went to the dentist in Iceland. I just called up a dentist and say I need to fix my tooth. And then the mental shift of just like I'll just go to a dentist in Iceland because that's that's where I live is when I got this mindset of I live I live on earth kind of mentality, right? You know how when they say about astronauts then when astronauts go out to space, the first thing they do is they look for their hometown. The second time the earth goes around they look for their country and the third time it goes around they look for their continents but the fourth time the earth goes around they just see earth right it's just something that happens in their heads they come back transformed there's many many stories about this and i i am absolutely convinced that we are in a time in in history where more people are going to start behaving and thinking like this but we're not right there yet right so there was just an, a canadian astronaut who was going to do the first tweet from space so he was tweeting from space and he asked people to tweet him what he was going to take a photograph of and the most common request was take a photo of my hometown so people would say i live in berlin take a photo of berlin i live in calcutta take a photo of calcutta so people are still extremely stuck in this mentality take a photo of my hometown instead of saying take a photo of you know some other part of the earth right but i think it's changing now i i can feel it that it's changing got it You once ran a consulting firm with about 60 people. Yeah. And then you decided to completely shift and you're a one-man organization now mm. with your wife coming and helping you out. Correct. Done your research. I've done my research. 3 hours per day. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, what made you shift? I'm assuming you're far more happier now, so tell us about that. Okay. Well, I started an internet consulting company in 95, quite early, and we grew one person per month for 60 months in a row. We had no investors so everything had to be profitable the profit from the previous months was used to hire one more person so we did that 60 months 60 people then we sold it I love that I mean don't get me wrong I absolutely loved it 
it was an amazing experience. And I, I compare it to running a marathon. Running a company is like running a marathon. And a huge respect for the people who do that. But it's hard work. And you're responsible for other people, like the life of other people. If they are having problems at home, you kind of become responsible for it. It's, and every time you have to, you're responsible for their salaries and all of that. I was very happy being a marathon runner, but I decided I am more of a sprinter. You know, a, a speaker is a sprinter. You speak for an hour, you speak for 45 minutes, you have no colleagues, you have no really relationship with any client, and you come in like we did today, uh, you speak for 45 minutes, you network with a bunch of people, tomorrow go I'm gone, you know, day after tomorrow I'm in Macau speaking for a, for a fashion company, for a makeup company. So I love this. When you have a company, you're deeply involved, with, like, or when, yeah, so you're deeply involved with a few people for a long time. That's great. But what I've done now, I'm shortly involved with a lot of people for a short time. And I just love that mentality of it. Will I all do this for the rest of my life? I will always speak. Will I maybe have a company in the future? Yeah, maybe. Mm -hmm. But, but you, somehow you have to choose. You cannot be involved with a lot of people a lot of the time. Then you get burned out. Right? Right. And right now I have small kids. And I say, speak to as many as people as you can and then spend a lot of time with your kids. So if you've done your research, you know I also spend a lot of time with my kids. That is correct. And you've taken a, a long paternity leave, yes. right? And saying no to a lot of requests, I'm sure, but you made up your mind uh, to stay with your kids. And that is awesome. I also wanted to uh, check with you, now that you're a single man company, a single man organization, how do you brand yourself? Because part of branding involves you getting more speaking opportunities and hence right. more revenues. How yeah. do you do that? Actually, my wife is a branding consultant, oh. so I have in-house. Very convenient. Very convenient. On the other hand, I spend very little time start trying to brand myself. Like, like I said, for example, my blog is professionalspeaking.com, not Frederick Heron. I have frederickheron.com, but I blog about being a speaker, helping other people become speakers. Mm -hmm. So why do I do that? Why is my blog about helping to create more competitors for myself. Sure. That's not a, that's a kind of a weird branding. If you doesn't make sense. Doesn't really make sense. <laughs> but I, I, what I have realized is that the more, the more you just try to help people and the more you just do what you feel that you should be doing, somehow the brand just grows, mm -hmm. right? So just, I don't know, from a branding perspective, it doesn't make sense, but it's what I want to do and therefore I do it. And my, my strategy around speaking is very simple. I have a formula. I'll share this formula with you. If you do one speech for free in a year, you just say, I'm going to be a speaker. You do one speech for free in a year. And two people come up after that speech and say, that was an amazing speech. Can you come and speak for us? You say, yes, but this time I'm going to charge. You charge $1,000 per speech. Next year, year two, you do two speeches in a whole year and you make a total of $2,000. Two people come up afterwards and say, that was an amazing speech. Can you come to us? Now you charge $2,000. So you add 1000 every year. Next year you do four speeches and you start $2,000. That's $8,000 revenue for the whole year. Year eight, you make almost a million dollars and you make 128 speeches. And all you had to do was make a speech that was good enough to two people come up afterwards and say, we love your speech, can you come and speak for us? No marketing, no social media, no YouTube, no branding, no business cards, nothing. That make, speaking is the simplest business there is. Your marketing is your product. You do a, that's true for a lot of products, but it's especially true for speaking. 
And I think it works for almost anything. If you're a restaurant, do a great restaurant experience, and people are going to post all over Facebook and tell their friends about it. It's true for everything, right? And I actually interviewed um, the CEO, the founder of Evernote, and they have this strategy that the product is free, and if you like it, you pay for it, right? And they said that, he said that we're living in a time now where if you have a great product, people will talk about it. And if they're not talking about it, it means you don't have a good product. Mm. So don't brand it. You know, don't spend money branding and advertising your product. Spend, you spend your time making the product so good that people talk about it. It's a very, very, very good advice. It's always been true, but it's never been more true than now. Yeah. So for me, that was the biggest uh, takeaway you know, when I looked at it is give such an awesome speech so that people come and book you for more. Makes perfect sense. Yeah, but don't do the speech so that because people are going to book you. Do the speech because people need to hear the message that you believe in. And uh, because if they can feel he's doing this speech to, so that he can get two more bookings, it's not going to work again. And right? it'll come across very flatly as well. Yeah, we'll, track, we'll see. Uh, like, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm now good, maybe you're going to do this. But I, I, for example, I tell speakers, do not put your email at the end of the speech. Do not put your face. Don't ask them to join you on Facebook. Don't do any kind of marketing selling from the speech because it distracts them very... You get a lot of followers, but you're, you're not being true to what you're there to do. You're there. Like I do this comparison in a speech. I say, imagine you go to the Phantom of the Opera, and it's an amazing performance. And in the middle of it, the Phantom just stops and says, oh, and by the way, if you want to join me on Facebook, <laughs> that would never happen, right? Yeah. And as a speaker, you are the Phantom of the Opera. You are there to give a message that people just get awed by. And if they like it, they will find you. So, Frederick, I'll tell you how I found you. It wasn't through any of your speeches okay. it was actually through the ideas island ah, okay. and i completely fell in love okay. the fact that you have a beautiful island but even better you're actually giving it away for free and and that's how i came to know and i started reading up more about that oh. so how did that idea of giving away you know your island for somebody else to come and stay for a week start well technically i have three islands so i have one in the philippines i have two in sweden on one of them in sweden i live on it myself in the summer the one in the Philippines I got because I wanted to live on, I, I'm an island fanatic. So I wanted to live on an island for more than just two summers, you know, two months in the summer in Sweden. So I got this island in the Philippines. So now we could live two months in the summer in Sweden and two months in the winter in the Philippines and the rest in Singapore, which is also an island. I know, I'm, I'm fascinated by islands. But then I realized in the Philippines, we were there for two months, but 10 months per year, it wasn't ever being used. So I said, wait, this is such a waste of time, this, uh, a waste of space or resources. We have an amazing island and no one is on it. So everyone said, then you rent it out, you know, and be number one on Airbnb, a private island in the Philippines. But I felt if I did that, it would be, first of all, I would, I would be running a resort. Second of all, I would be visiting a resort, which I didn't want to do. I wanted this to be like my sacred place. And if I was not there, I said, what isn't it, wouldn't it be much nicer if people just could apply to go there and didn't have to pay anything and just go there and do what I do. Isolate yourself from the rest of the world for a short period of time and work on your ideas. So we did that. And then just when we were getting to, ready to launch it big time, the biggest typhoon to ever hit land went straight over our island and just literally, literally blew the, the house off the island. The only thing left is a toilet. And then I said, that's too bad. But at that time, I had bought a, bought a third island. So now we do Ideas Island on that second island in Sweden. Mm -hmm. And every week in the summer months, one 
person goes gets to go there to work on the ideas. And right now, I just tell you right now, there's a couple from uh, Eastern Europe. Some, I don't, I don't I remember exactly Bulgaria, some no, some Eastern European country, who runs heavy metal festivals in Eastern Europe, huge ones, and. They're full of tattoos and they, love, they run heavy metal f- conferences, but they're on the island because they want to make their, their festivals more sustainable. Uh-huh. So they want to make, a, how do you make a sustainable, environmentally friendly heavy metal uh, festival? That's why they are on the island right now figuring this out. And I just, you know, the concept of that is just awesome to me. And then th- the week before, I was some totally different person working on some totally different uh, concept. I think actually that was a performance artist b- he making a, a performance art piece on the island. Totally different. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. Mm-hmm. This is absolutely fantastic. Uh, so for those well, of you, you want to go, yes, you want to go. You go to ideasisland.com. You write, "Why should I let you live on the island for one week for free?" And I do ask for a thousand dollars that goes to charity. Right now, it goes to autistic kids in the Philippines. But if you can't, aff- it's only. If you can afford it. If you can't afford it, you don't have to pay. So this summer, 14 guests are staying for 14 weeks. I think 10 of them are paying and four of them are not. So it's just a way of kind of limiting the, ca- the applications that I get because I, I read them all. I don't read them all, but I do the selection myself. Got it. Brilliant. Again, for, for everyone listening out here, you should also listen to another podcast I'm going to be doing with Frederick, and that's about him as an author and his authoring journey. So make sure to tune into that as well. You will find the link in the show notes. Frederick, thank you so much for this podcast. Truly appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. It was, it was fun. You were listening to The Conversation with Frederick Harrell, a global professional speaker, a best-selling author, and an overall wonderful human. I hope you enjoyed and benefited from this podcast. You can find all the episodes of this podcast on my website, kiruba.com and on the Hindu Business Line website too. If you have any suggestions to help improve this show, please do not hesitate to write to me at kiruba at kiruba.com. I look forward to seeing you again next fortnight with another mover and shaker. Until then, take care and bye-bye.